0: Greetings and salutations to everybody out there on podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm very happy to be back behind the microphone once again. I've had a very good week of training, in particular yesterday where I went to visit my friend Judo Joe Kaiser at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, where they normally have an open mat. Uh, well, not an open mat, but they have a no-gi class. On Saturday, but I I begged Joe, Joe, please, please let me bring my gi because it's something I got to work on. So he was willing to let me come to the class with the gi and we were able to work on Yoko Tominagi for about 45 minutes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while, I get this itch to learn a throw inside and out. And I, I wish I could do that. I wish I had the time to do that for all 60... Seven throws of Kodokan Judo, but I have to pick and choose what throws that I want to work on that I'm most likely going to use. And for me, I've decided to work on Yoko Tomonagi over the next, really, until I feel like I've come to a place where I'm very proficient with it. Now, look, I understand I'll never be Kashiwazaki doing Yoko Tomonagi and all sorts of Tomonagi in all sorts of different directions, but I would like to have that in my repertoire so whenever I compete again which I do want to do sometime next year I feel the need to prepare myself but I want to compete and before I do that I want that in my repertoire so yesterday I went and met up with my friend judo joe and we worked on it we both worked on it so what I was working on specifically was a right on right situation in Japanese they call it aiyotsu and My goal was trying to move that leg so that he is in a position for me to do Yoko Tomonagi. And this is something that I've been starting to practice probably over the past three months or so every once in a while when I do Rondori, you know, with the kids or whatever, because I don't really have adults at my club. But when I do it with the kids, I, I try and do it as safely as possible. I try and attack, but my body placement has not been right. So I I reached out to Judo Joe and I said, look, I need to do the the Uchikomi for this throw. I need to get into the uh, position and I need to drill just getting into position. The actual execution of the throw is not relevant to me. I just want to drill the position. So went there yesterday. We worked on it for 45 minutes or so. So, you know, like I was just saying, I was largely doing the Uchikomi. There were some other guys there. So I was explaining to them. Look, I can demonstrate this throw. But I'm trying to take my ability to destroy throw to the next level. And be able to do it in Rondori. So I drilled this over and over again with Joe. I did a Kochigari Uchigari attack um, as my initial attack. To open up his leg. To bring his right leg to the rear. For me to spin into to Yoko Tominagi. And My goal yesterday was to get into the habit of basically trying to get my left ear over to his right ankle after he stepped backwards. So I don't know if you can envision this. You We're in a in a standard right versus right grip, like I said, Iotsu. And I do a Kochigari attack. When I do the Kochigari attack I actually strip the grip off of my lapel I I stripped his grip off of my lapel so that I have a more free range of motion to use the hands as I do the the attack and you can you can do this with the strip grip before I was practicing stripping the grip as I was attacking so once I do kochigari I stop my movement a little bit and I pop that sleeve grip off or that lapel grip off excuse me So once that lapel grip is off, my attack is to use my left leg as kind of a fulcrum to get myself spinning underneath him and to get my head to around where his right ankle is moved back. So it's basically the direction that my feet are pointing. I'm trying to get my head pointing in that direction as well. And that's been the toughest part for me is getting that spin just right and after a couple of tries, I managed to get that feel just right. And, and something that I thought was very interesting when practicing this throw was I was just aiming to do the uchikomi. Yeah, yeah you know, it, I know it's weird to do a sacrifice throw uchikomi. It can be done, you just have to reset, stand up and reset every single time. But when I tried to do the uchikomi, and when my position and placement was spot on, he could not help but get thrown. I mean he practically threw himself it was just so it was so effortless to do when done right. So I was very I had a great workout yesterday because again to be able to get this feel and to get and to start to get an understanding of this throw in a basic situation and to get the feel for it. Now I know what it's got to feel like and this is something that I can aim for in in practices moving forward. This is something that I've not been able to do it my own judo club with the kids because, you know, I'm always worried about hurting them. So I I do it very slowly, very lightly, and, you know, I don't want to hurt any kids. But being able to train with Joe, and and I I tell you what, guys, it's so important to, once you've acquired enough judo skill, to have a training partner that you can trust and and a training partner that gets it. Because, you know, there's guys out there that they don't get it. Like you could do Rondori with somebody, and it's a fight. It's it's going for the gold every single time, and it's not just a beginner or a white belt thing either. That that happens to to guys that have been doing judo for twenty years. You just there's just certain guys out there that you grip up, and it's a fight from bell to bell, and you you can't really work on everything anything because it's it's just. It's just a fight. They don't get it. They don't let up. But Joe is not that kind of guy. And some of the other people that I train with at Ebor City Jiu-Jitsu from time to time, they're not like that either. It's a great club that I like going to when I'm not at my club uh, helping the kids. I wish we had more adults at my club, but it's just not going to be a possibility, you know, especially with our match situation, which is horrendous. Um, and I'm going to get to that a little, bit, uh, a little bit later when I talk about my experiences at the U.S. Open going for my coaching certification. But but I had a great workout yesterday. Long story short, I had a great workout yesterday. I'm working on Yoko Tominagi, and that's something I'm going to be focusing on for the next couple of uh, at least six months to a year minimum. So I would love to hear from you guys. What are you guys working on and what is your approach to when you, when you say you're working on something, what does that mean to you? Because to me, that means that I'm going to spend uh, at least the majority of my time in a classroom setting uh, and in Rondori trying to execute this throw. Regardless of whether or not I get thrown a hundred times, it doesn't matter. I don't care if a white belt throws me or a or, or yellow belt throws me. So long as I'm uh, trying to attack with this throw... That's what I'm trying that's what working on this throw means to me. Anybody else out there working on Yoko Tomonagi, I'd love to hear from you and and I'd love to hear any tips that you guys have that I may uh that may be helpful for me as I do this throw. It's 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 hard because I can I'm not as flexible as I used to be. So really crouching down and really getting underneath and getting my feet there, it's it's not easy at in my uh advancing age, as I'll put it gently. If you need a reminder, the email address is show at gmail.com. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at judoka, and you can follow me on Instagram at judoka as well. And for you gamers out there, if you've got a PS4, go ahead and search for judoka on the PlayStation Network, and you'll be sure to find me, you can add me, and You can harass me on there as well and and challenge me to duels on, you know, Madden 17 or 18 or whatever. So feel free to do that. All right. So who here has a subscription to Superstar Judo? Anybody? Have you guys seen who they are featuring this week? That's right. It's my main girl, Kayla Harrison. All right. She's not really my main girl because that would be my wife. But if you guys have taken a look at the podcast uh, episode cover art, you will see that I have posted a picture that Kayla signed uh, for me. And in that picture, she says all the best. And she says XOXO. XO. My wife really loves seeing that. But anyway, she's being featured on Superstar Judo. And this week, they featured her Ogoshi that she's used in many contests throughout her competitive career and it was a pretty good demonstrate well (laughs) it was a great demonstration of Ogoshi but you know the details everything that was shown by Superstar Judo for Ogoshi it was nothing new that I've not seen before it was everything was the basics everything was covered in in good detail but just nothing new Um, it's been typical of, of what I've seen in Superstar Judo with a lot of their other techniques you have to you have to have an observant eye in order to take a look at these techniques because they don't explain every little minute detail. But the same can't be said about my friends Nick and Sai Collier in their video about everything about arm spins. Nick and Sai Collier are the stars of the Nick and Sai show on YouTube and they are featuring a video called Everything About Arm Spins. And for those of you who don't know what, every, what an arm spin is, that's Yoko Wakari. And I've been saying it for the past several weeks. If you have not seen everything about arm spins and you don't know how to do Yoko Wakari, you need to take a look at this video on YouTube. Because it has been uh, endorsed by really big names in Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. We're talking about Dr. Roddy Ferguson. We're talking about Michael Jen and Jen Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We're talking about Dan Camarillo. And I heard even the President of the United States endorsed everything about arms spins. President Trump, what do you think of Nick and Cy Collier? Tremendous people. You see, even the President of the United States loves everything about arms spins. It's a very impressive video series that comes in five parts. If you want to rent it, it's $2.99 for a three-day rental or $4.99 if you want to purchase the part outright. Please visit my friends Nick and Side Collier at www.youtube.com forward slash Nick and Cy. That's N-I-K-A-N-D-S-I. So even, well, you know, President Trump endorsing that as well. Uh, President Trump, what do you think about my podcast? You are fake news. All right, then. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Enough of that. So a little over a week ago, I went to the U.S. Open down in Fort Lauderdale for a coaching seminar. Now, I have not been to Fort Lauderdale in a very long time. The last time I was there, I pretty much just drove through it to get to Key West. I got to tell you, Fort Lauderdale is beautiful. I, I had no idea. Now, for you guys that are not aware of how large Florida is, I've gone over this before. You could fit many other countries in the world within Florida with room to spare. So for me, the drive was about a three and a half hour drive and... I'm going to be going there in December because I'm going on a cruise. but And there's a a port there. I'm going on a nice uh, five-day cruise. So that'll be fun. But regardless of that, Fort Lauderdale is beautiful. And I went down to the U.S. Open to attend a coaching seminar held by uh, Mr. Pat Burris, who, for those who don't know, he's been to the Olympics twice in 72 and 76. And he was also one of the Team USA coaches at the... I believe it was the 1992 Olympics. Don't shoot me if I got that wrong. So this coaching seminar was nothing like what I expected. I, I expected, and I mean that in a good way. Mr. Pat Burris is a very fascinating individual to me. I, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and he talked a lot about Running a judo club as a 501c3. Now, for those of you who are in the outside of the United States, I'm sorry. This is probably going to go over your heads a little bit. But maybe maybe you can maybe your own governments will, will have similar programs. So basically, a 501c3 in the United States is a uh, non-profit organization uh, tax exemption. Or maybe it's not a tax exemption. It's more of a, a, a tax identification. I'm not going to talk about details regarding the 501c3 because, quite frankly, I would love to have uh, Sensei Pat Burris on this podcast. I'm going to reach out to him and find out if he has uh, any interest in joining this hideous podcast. And maybe he can talk a lot about this in more detail that I cannot provide to you because I just learned about this myself. I've been aware of 501c3 for nonprofit organizations. I know a lot of church organizations use this designation as a nonprofit organization. So to hear Pat talk about setting up his own judo club as a 501c3 was really fascinating to me because he was talking about the different types of grant money that are out there. Not only can you take donations from individuals and those people can can write those donations off as a tax write-off. But there are grants at the local, state and federal level that are available. It's just money just sitting out there for use. Now I'm not saying there's there's no work involved, but uh, Sensei Pat was talking about these different types of grants that are available and I had no idea. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why in the world are is my club struggling to and and with trying to find funding for mats when we could just go this route now it's it's not simple i'm told it's like a 27 page form that you got to fill out as a club owner in order to become 501c3 eligible you have to you have to there's a lot of legwork involved but you go through the legwork and for you guys that are struggling out there with with you know, getting equipment for your club and such, you you turn this into a 501c3 and it's not perfect, it's not a perfect solution, but there's a lot of problems that this designation can probably help with a lot of clubs that are out there that are struggling. And as Pat put it, you know, you got to try and find a way to keep your doors open. And if that means going the nonprofit route, that's not a really bad way to go. Now, of course, there are drawbacks. You can't, you can't be a profitable company, for one. I mean, in the technical term, because I know there are organizations that are nonprofit where the administrative people take a salary from that. Um, but of course, there's rules and such involved in that. I can't really speak to the, that level of detail. But I know that this is an option for club owners in the United States that are struggling financially to run their own clubs. I would love to hear from any of you guys that actually run a 501c3 judo club. I, I would if you guys know more about this, please enlighten me because I'm just trying to go through the IRS site. To read about all about this, and you know that can be a tedious process, right there. And, and granted, I'm really trying to research this for the benefit of my club. It's not my club, though, so this ultimately lands on the shoulders of of the 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 lead sensei Fire there, sensei. and he's the one that's got to initiate all of this because the club's not in my name, and you know, I don't really have an interest in starting my own club to be a five hundred one C three, but it would be nice if we could get some funding because quite frankly i'm sick and tired of taking falls on 1 inch uh 1 inch thick pads on concrete it it that's that's too much for my body you know i'm not as young as i used to be and and uh you know i take falls for kids i take light falls but uh you know i can't let an adult throw me on there no way um not unless it's just these rolling type falls or throws so Sensei Pat talked a lot about that he also talked about a lot about coaching on the side of the mat. He he also really a lot of this a lot of his discussion was about running your own club and how he does things. Something he said that I thought was really interesting that I had not considered before is that when he goes to these tournaments as a coach, he does not pay his own way to go. Uh and and at his club he has the parents pay uh, for the basically for the right to coach their children. And that really makes a lot of sense, especially for somebody like Sensei Pat Burris, who has to travel to different tournaments and such. He's not going to pay for that out of his own pocket. And so parents, uh, if they want their kids coaches, to ha- uh, their kid coach, they, they need to contribute to his traveling fund and, and his his food and lodging and such. And I thought that made a lot of sense. It was something that I had not considered before and, and really wondered how all these coaches get around you know, from, from state to state. I'm sure some of them pay out of their own pocket, but he was adamant in saying, you should not do this. You should not pay out of your own pocket. And something else that he talked about on, uh, in, in his seminar that I thought was really interesting to me was he talked about promotions and he talked about uh, the, the challenges of promotions, especially in Florida. And the funny thing is, is that he was basically saying the same exact stuff that I've said on this podcast on numerous occasions. And he was looking right at me when he was saying this stuff. So I don't think he's heard this podcast. I But I wondered, it was just kind of odd that he was looking right at me when he was talking about, you know, some of these things on how clubs should be able to promote the show. I mean, he, he actually said that... that Promotions up to Shodan should not have to go through the governing body. And I, I agree with that. You know, you want to go neat on and up, that's fine. And I was shocked to hear Pat Burris actually say that um, because, well, for one, it's it's Pat Burris. And two, I, I didn't feel like as much of a loon as I have in, in episodes past, you know, when I talk about promotions and such. So I know I'm not a man out on an island out there. There's a lot of people out there who... Agree with me, and not just the listeners, but to hear it from Pat himself that was uh, quite a surprise for me now speaking of surprise during his seminar, Serge Buyaso stopped by and and talked about how he runs his judo club, and it was very good to see Serge. I did not expect him to be there at least not at the at, not at the seminar, so I made sure to run right up to him after the entire thing was over with and introduce myself. It was a, it was a great thrill and a great honor to meet both Pat and Serge. And of course, he remembered me. He remembered uh, doing the interview on my podcast. For those who who not, are not aware, that's episode twenty three. Serge has one of the largest judo clubs in the country, and his club is for profit. But he pretty much echoed a lot of what Sensei Pat Burris was saying in regards to, you know, charging uh, um, money for his traveling expenses and keeping the prices high for uh, uh, tuition at judo clubs. So this is the part where I want to backtrack from earlier comments I've made in a very early episode on this podcast, probably around episode 14 when I was talking about Travis Stevens' comments about minimum amounts that club owners should charge their students now i still do not agree with travis stevens saying that since club and club owners should close their doors if they're not charging at least a hundred dollars a month i don't agree with that take but i do see pats and surges and travis's point of view when it comes to keeping the prices high for judo and surge was very adamant that you can make money as a judo instructor. You can have a living as a judo instructor. And he, I think he said he charges $150 a month for judo tuitions. Now, his his club is state-of-the-art. It's got dorm rooms. It's got classrooms. It's got a, a, a weight room. It's got a, a fabulous mat area. It's it's a really beautiful facility. It's one of the best I've ever seen in pictures. I'm sure there are others out there that rival it, like the Olympic Training Center, for example. but. He was very adamant that driving, keeping the prices high, are not going to drive away people. And I've always been of the opinion that it would, mainly because I'm just a cheapo when it comes to spending money, and I might go for the cheaper place. But a lot of other people would not. A lot of people out there equate higher price with high prices with higher value, and something that else that Serge said, which really drove home this point about dr- keeping the prices high and. And, and he, if he can do it, we can do it. And his point was, and it, I thought it was very uh, spot on, that at the end of the day, we're all teaching the same judo. Now, I'm not as good a judo coach as Serge Buyaso or Pat Burris or Dr. Roddy Ferguson or Jimmy Pedro or, or so on and so on and so on. I'm not as good as them. But at the end of the day, we're all teaching osotogari. We're all teaching Keisuke We're all teaching, well, we should all be teaching grip fighting. Uh, but we're all teaching different parts of judo some out there are teaching more kata than others we're all teaching from the same source material and i I thought serge had a had a very good point if we're all teaching the same thing there's no reason why we can't make a living off of this if one person's making a living uh, so can you and i I guess the biggest two biggest things I came away from from the seminar is the five oh one c three and the fact that you really can make a living as a judo instructor if you do things the right way, I think it's possible. I I, I really do. I know I've had uh, Jonah Uhl on here. He's trying to start up his own club. He's got about fifty members strong, and I judging by the pictures on his Instagram, that number is growing. So i I would be curious to see what. Well, I'm sure someday. Jonah will probably raise his prices as as well as other people out there will raise his prices as well. And and they won't lose their students. But, you know, at the same token, I do think there is room for the nonprofit organization that teaches out of a church or some kind of Buddhist temple for free. I think there's we need places like that, but we don't all have to be that way. And I I, again, I would say that's my biggest takeaway from the from the whole thing. Meeting Surge was a thrill. And meeting uh Pat was a thrill as well. I, I would love to get uh, sensei Pat on this podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna email him today and gauge his interest, and I gotta pay him money because I am now gonna be a regionally certified coach, which is great. So I won't get the Kayla Harrison treatment if I want to coach one of my kids on the sidelines. <laughs> um speaking of coaches, when I was down there, I did see uh, dr roddy ferguson at a distance i did see travis stevens at a distance i wanted to go up and say hi but they looked like they were making a beeline to see other people and i didn't want to be one of those guys to step in there and say like hey oh hey look hey uh, my name's dave roman i want to meet you and that kind of stuff because you know i'm not a big fan of when that happens to me you know like sometimes when i'm at work and i get to use the bathroom i'm i'm making a beeline for the bathroom and somebody stops me and wants to talk about some kind of project or whatever and i'm Years ago, I would have been like, you know, I would have stopped and talked to them and all the while, you know, crying inside because I have to use the bathroom and I didn't want to feel I wouldn't want to be rude saying something. But, you know, nowadays, I don't really care as much. So I'm just like, dude, just let me do my business. I'll talk to you in about five minutes. But I didn't want to I didn't want to go up to them, interrupt what they were doing and and get a negative uh, experience from meeting them so i I just let it be, but it was cool to see travis there i I've never seen him in person uh he's a bigger dude than i would have uh, i would have guessed he's a pretty big dude and, and same with uh um Radee as well. he's a pretty big guy I, I I knew he was a strong guy i I just didn't know he was that big. So, yeah, it, it was cool seeing them and and I didn't get to see uh, anybody else because I had to. Actually, I take that back. I saw a couple of people that I follow on Insta- um, Instagram, Instagram um, uh, Sensei Kamal. He's up in, uh, in New Jersey. I did see him. I, I didn't talk to him either because he was trying to check in. I didn't talk to anybody. I just went to the seminar and then really drove home because I, I had to go to work the next day. I wish I could have stayed, but unfortunately, I could not. The U.S. Open fights, if anybody's interested in seeing them, they are up on YouTube. Just search for U.S. Open Judo 2017 and you'll see all the, the fights on there. There's a ton of video. So they did a really good job with the video and presenting presenting Judo for anybody that's interested to see how the U.S. Open went. But I got to say, this was the 29th U.S. Open and I need to talk about something that I noticed there, which I thought was was pretty bad form, to be honest. And I, I look, I really hate talking negatively about people who are putting together a tournament and such. But that registration process was absurd. And I don't know if anybody who is listening to this podcast was there. How long did you wait to register? Because my students... Uh, one one of my students was standing in line for seven hours. He was in one line for about two hours and he found out that he was in the wrong line when it was too late. And then he had to go to another line and stand there for another five. Now, these people have had 29 years to get this right. And after 29 years, they can't get this right Florida is a state of amusement parks. If there's anything that you should take away from Florida and amusement parks is long lines. But even Disney World with all the millions of visitors that they have each and every year can figure out how to handle a queue line. And there was it was a fluster cluck, let's just put it that way. I mean, there were nobody telling anybody where to go. It was just there was no signs that were were really visible there were no designated lines everybody was just crisscrossing into everybody else's path it was just it was just mass confusion and I don't understand and look I get it I'm sure most of the people there were volunteers but I don't volunteer or not you still have to do a good if you're gonna volunteer you got to do a good job and whoever was head of that needs to be better prepared for next year because that's not fair to parents You know, not only my kids who traveled really not that far compared to so many other people. You know, you got guys, again, uh, Serge Buysel brought 90 people down uh, from Rhode Island. And it's it's tough enough to travel to make that distance, whether they flew or whether they drove a caravan. I have no idea, but that's a tough travel. And there were people from, uh, I believe, from Cuba and, and certainly Puerto Rico and Mexico that were there. That's a lot of traveling. And to get to Fort Lauderdale and to have this kind of a registration process, this this kind of it was a disaster. I'm sorry. It was a disaster. And they need to do a better job in the future because that's not fair. It's not fair to the parents. It's not fair to the kids. And how hard would it have been to have things done in an orderly fashion and get people the answers that they need? Just have one guy stand out in the front of the door and that, that allows people to ask questions when their turn in the line is up. And I guess part of the confusion was the juniors and the cadets, all of them had to register on judobase.org because this was for juniors and cadets in IJF points tournament. But I don't know. Look, there has to be better communication. It's got to be done better. You, you you I hate, I really, really hate being critical, but it's got to be said. These are the kind of things that are going to hurt judo's growth, and and it it, it needs to be fixed. So hopefully next year they'll get it right, um, and we'll see what they do. But it, other than that, it, it was it looked to be a great tournament, and um, seemed like everybody had a good time there. Ultimately, and that's the most important thing, other than winning, of course. We are T-minus 29 days to the Judo World Championships in Budapest, Hungary. I am going to have my friend Judo Joe Kaiser join me on the podcast after the World Championships. So I will be very interested to see how the new rules play out in the ultimate stage. I know for in the view of many people, it's just another tournament, but this is the World Championships Everybody's going to be on their A game, including Fabio Basile, who has confirmed that he'll be competing. For those of you who may not remember, Fabio Basile was the breakout star at the Rio uh, Olympics who just came out of nowhere and won gold in the under 66 kilo division. And after nearly a year of dancing with the stars, walking down modeling runways and seemingly doing everything else a young man can do in Italy besides actual judo. Uh, he's going to make a go for it in the World Championships. He was, again, you know, he was outstanding in the Olympics. He just was a breakout star. He defeated Anbao, and I expect him to, well, if I'm going to make a prediction, I don't expect him to come anywhere near the medal stand for the World Championships. Now, you can argue Hifumi Abe has competed very little this year, and you can argue that Anbao has not competed very much at all this year but i don't know i would venture to guess those guys were act doing actual training i know hifumiabe has been going to training camps and he's and he, he did the all japan he was at the paris grand slam but fabio basile has done nothing and so i'm not very optimistic that he's going to do anything this year if i were to, if i were to make a prediction It's not really a very bold prediction for that under-66 skill division. I'm going to predict that Hifumi Abe is going to win that division. I think he's currently the most outstanding judoka in that division. But that's going to be my prediction. I will get to official predictions probably a week or two out from the World Championships. But as of the recording of this podcast, we're 29 days away. And... Teddy Renair is, is a definite go for that uh, for the over 100-kilo division. I do not think he's going to win that division. I think it's going to go to somebody else, but I'm not going to give that up just yet. I'm going to give you a full breakdown, probably in about two weeks, on who I think is going to win each and every division of both the men's and women's side. It's about that time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop podcast. What time is it? Listen to Reaction. So I got this message from I I got a bunch of listener reactions. Some I let me tell you I I think the podcast is spreading over in the UK because I happen to get a lot of followers over the past couple of weeks and and some messages from folks over in the UK. I appreciate you all. I really appreciate you writing and checking in. Um, but I got this message on my YouTube page. Which if you search on judo chop suey on youtube that's where i post uh, i also post videos of the podcast not of me not of me on camera but I, well, I do post some judo videos up there of me but i also post the episodes on youtube as well for anybody you know doing a search for judo and they happen to see my podcast whatever so i get this comment on one of my older episodes that i posted episode 9 uh which on that episode that was about you know, how, eight, how the 80s movies influenced me in my, uh, my decision to pursue martial arts in my life. So, his comment says, as an older guy, I simply have trouble understanding the judo is too Japanese argument. Back in the 80s, when I was young, the fact that martial arts were Japanese or Chinese made them cooler. It didn't make them obnoxious. I, I don't think I said it was obnoxious. Anyway, continuing on. The exotic uniforms, the terminology, the bowing and other formalities, the shrines, made the martial arts seem cooler. I guess the United States has just gotten more nationalistic and xenophobic over the decades. Either that or Americans these days view martial arts as strictly through the prism of the UFC and the origins of the individual martial arts are irrelevant to them. Now come on, get get out of here with that nonsense. That has nothing to do with that and that's not what my case was when i was talking about judo being too japanese for the american public for those of you who live across the pond or somewhere else outside of the united states don't listen to what mr trump would call fake news and think that the united states has just become this racist racist and xenophobic hellhole it's not anything like that this country has never been more tolerant of people who are different than ever before All right, maybe not in the political spectrum, but everywhere else in our day-to-day lives, we are very tolerant as a group of people. So I take exception, I take offense to this idea that this country has become more nationalistic and xenophobic. It has nothing to do with that at all. Not saying we're perfect, we have a long way to go to being perfect, but we are certainly... Much different today than we were 30 years ago. So I'm I'm not going to stand for this kind of nonsense that people who don't even live in this country, you you know, I'm not going to sit here and criticize your country and your principles and the things that you stand for, you you know, and and, and question whether or not that your country has all these different problems. I'm not going to do that. My point in Judo being too Japanese is that I know for a fact I've come across them. And I've had many people state this as be, uh, in their own experiences that there are many dojo in the United States that are a caricature of what traditional Japanese judo is. And it goes, it goes a little bit overboard with the formalities and such. That's really what I was getting at. But in terms of the exotic uniforms and exotic terminology, I mean, look at Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Their uniforms are far more exotic than anything we have in judo and their terminology is just really really wacky uh, compared to what's judo you know what's common in judo i mean look at all the different guard names that they have this that 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 jiu jitsu vernacular if, if there's a library on all jiu jitsu terminology i'd be shocked if they was all in one place so it has nothing to do with the united states being more xenophobic or or, or that the uniforms, the exotic uniforms and terminology is spooking people. It has nothing to do with that at all. The issues with Judo in the United States go far beyond those type of things. I just, when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think they have a more laid back attitude that appeals to Americans as a whole. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a market for traditional Judo. And it, it But my point still stands that there are some clubs out there that portray a really negative image by having their clubs ran as a caricature of traditional Japanese dojo. And I've, I've had other people having conversations with other people who've actually been to Japan. It's not as traditional over there as one would think. So that's where I kind of get this idea that that it's almost a caricature. So come on, enough, enough of this stuff. I, I don't mind... You know, I I can I can deal with, you know, people poking fun at Americans for different things, but don't be ignorant about it. it we're not we're not a a nationalistic country full of xenophobes. It, it's just it's absurd. I also received a nice email from Kiyoshi who is the owner of judofan.com, which is a judo blog. I highly suggest everybody listening to this podcast go visit judofan.com. And Kiyoshi wrote me a nice email offering to clean up any misconceptions about judo in japan since he is a blogger living in japan he's a japanese man living in japan go figure huh and and he talks about uh things specific to japanese judo the ajjf and things like that but he was on reddit a couple of weeks ago and and again there are some people out there that have these ridiculous misconceptions about traditional Japanese judo, and he said some some goof off said something along the lines of that when you visit a Japanese club, you, even if you're a, a, a black belt, you're supposed to wear your white belt until you've been given explicit permission or something like that. And, and Kiyoshi, who's actually lives in Japan and actually trains there and runs a club over there, says that's nonsense. So you know, I'll take his word over over the the inane ramblings of of anonymous internet people out there. So just want to put that out there as well. I appreciate you, Kiyoshi. Thank you for checking in and continuing to listen to the podcast. And I'd like to thank everybody else for listening to this podcast. I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter today. If you want to write to me, it's show at gmail.com. And as I mentioned before, you can always reach out to me on Twitter, which is at judoka on Instagram, which is also at Levita Judoka. And you can search for me on Facebook. If you do a search for Judo Chop Suey Podcast, you will find my Facebook page there. I post things from time to time. And I want to let you guys know that a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about where I'd like to set up my own uh, website for the podcast. Well, it turns out I already have one through Podbean. So, that website is judodaveroman.podbean.com. What I'm going to do is I'm going to post some of the listener reaction that I get, some of the really, really good ones, Uh, in specific the ones that I received about kata. I'm going to make more of an effort to post some of that stuff out there because I think it's valuable information for you guys to read and understand some of the history of certain kata and, and why we do kata and things like that. That's stemming back... uh. over the the past two episodes where I've had some discussions on Kata. So I encourage you all to check that out and I encourage you all to share this podcast with other people who may find this of interest. So with that, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard, stay safe out there and until next time, I'm out. Wopan Gangnam Style Gangnam Style I, 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 I,